We just thank you for this evening. We ask you to give us a good time as we look at the word, Lord. We lift up Amy's mother and ask you to help her with her kidney issue. We, we lift up Kelly as well with his issues. And, and Lord, we just ask you to touch the lives of the people here in Chloride and just help them to center more and more on you. Help us as we look at the, this new book that we're starting in, in Numbers and, and, guide and, and Guide and Lead in this. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. The book of Numbers. And don't forget the number. The Numbers is the, the fourth book of Moses, the fourth book of the Pentateuch, and the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. It's also called the Torah, the law. And... If you read, like in the Thompson chain, it very idiotically says that it's commonly accepted that Moses is the writer. Well, Jesus said that according to Moses, and he quoted Moses. So there is, no, there is no, they believe that it's Moses or they think that it's Moses. The first five books of the Bible are written by Moses. So if you have anybody who ever tells you it's not, then, then they're telling, saying that Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. I told you I was reading that in that page, and it went on and on and on about who and if and uh, I don't want to hear this. Five uh, no. book says the fourth book of Moses, commonly called Numbers. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the mindset. Yeah, that's the title. That's the that's the fourth book of Moses called Numbers or the fourth book of the Torah. Uh, so now, just to recap on our on this is just to catch us up. The book of Genesis is the book of beginnings, the beginning of everything. It covers the first 2,300 uh, 2, years of the existence of the earth from creation to 2,300. That would be the death of, of Joseph. The book of Exodus covers 80 years, 79 of which are covered in the first three chapters. And from that point on, it covers one year. Uh, the book of Leviticus covers just a couple months at best. It covers from the time of the tabernacle being built and the instruction of the Levites. So the book of Leviticus covers months. It doesn't even, you know, maximum a year, but that would be assuming that it started when they, when, when they left and that didn't happen. Numbers is going to cover 40 years of time. And Deuteronomy is days. It cover it is Moses's last message to the Israelites before they cross into the Promised Land. Numbers is going to take us from Sinai to the to just before they enter the Promised Land. And actually, it just takes a couple weeks to get to the Promised Land. They reject them, and you know the spies go in and they say, "Well, we're not going in." And then God says, "Fine, then you're going to wander for 40 years, and and then you're going to and so." Numbers is all about the wanderings of in the in the wilderness, and numbers, we're. I'm sorry, but numbers is starting where the spies left off with. We can't go in right. No, now. it doesn't start there. It starts at Sinai. Okay. It starts at Sinai, and then they get to the they get to the land to send the spies in, which we're going to get to that outline in a moment. Okay. They reject going in, and then the rest of it's the 40 years of bits and pieces of the 40 years of wandering. And it takes them right to numbers will end with them back at Jordan getting ready to enter in. And then we get the book of Deuteronomy, which is 
Moses' last message to the, peace, uh, to the people. It's the re-giving of the law. It's one big, long uh, message or sermon. And then Moses is, is taken away. He dies, and Joshua takes him into the promised land. So that kind of gets you an overview of the book. So you get, out of this, you've got three books that are just a really short period of time overall, in Genesis and Numbers that cover long periods of time. Exodus, like I say, Exodus covers 79 years, but 80, um, you know, 79 of those is while Moses is born, Moses is kicked out, he goes, takes care of the, his, you know, he's 40, he, he gets kicked out and he goes and takes care of Jethro's uh, sheep and then comes back. And that's what, that's what the first three chapters are and then it's one year from that point to the end of Exodus. So the outline of this book basically starts in chapters 1 through 12 is going to be the organization of the people of Israel. And you think about this, that these, are, these are a very large number of people. There's estimates of somewhere around three, three and a half million people in, the, in all. There's uh, some 605,000, I think it is, that of, of men. And then you figure the majority of the men are married and have a kid or two so that you're looking at you know, up, you know, upwards of you know, three million. Three million. Uh, so the first 12 chapters are going to be just the organization. It's going to be the counting, the leaving, the ordering of the tribes on how they're going to camp around the tabernacle, who, leave, would, who, would who leaves would, first. Would, if, you, if you ever studied that, huh? it makes the form of a cross. We're going to get there, yeah. We'll talk about that. Uh, who, who leaves first when camp break, camp when the camp breaks and who's going to camp first and, and who, which le family of Levi gets to carry what out of the tabernacle. And so all of this stuff is going to be in these first 12 chapters. Uh, it's going to be the people getting angry about eating manna and, and God sending them quail to the point where they get sick on the quail because they get so much quail. Uh, it's going to cover Miriam and Aaron's jealousy and and uh, rebellion. And then we'll get into the last part, 13 through 36, which is the failure of the people and the wandering in the wilderness. And that will include the spies, the rebellion of the people, uh, the wandering, the death of Aaron, uh, the bronze serpent will be discussed, Balaam and, and the corruption of Israel. Uh, we'll be looking at the second numbering of the, of the people just before they go into the land again. And then some laws revisited, the assignment of the land of the, on the other side of the Jordan, that who's going to get what, uh, the cities of refuge, and, and then some general laws at the very end, and a little talk about marriage. So this is what we have to look forward to on this. Uh, but I did want to bring out, if you hear somebody trying to tell you or you're reading in some uh, dumb, dumb commentary where the guy thinks he's really smart that it is in the book of Moses, He's basically calling Jesus a liar and saying Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. And so we know that these are the books of Moses. Actually, we know they're the books of God that Moses penned, but he wrote the books. So, Annie? No, oh. uh, go back and leave a note on that to myself for future references. Refer to what Jesus had to say about who wrote Moses. All right. So, Numbers chapter 1. 
And the Lord spoke unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of the congregation on the first day of the second month in the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, we're going to stop there for just a moment because we're going to look at this. First day of the second month in the second year since they've left Egypt. They have been camping out at Sinai for 11 months, 14 days. All right? And you go, well, how do you know that? Well, we, we went back to Exodus 16, and it said that they reached Sinai on the second month, 15th day after leaving uh, Egypt. So they've been there almost a year. So they were there almost a year outside of Egypt, outside of uh, Sinai. how long it would take to get a message through the crowd to that many people? Yeah, they, they didn't have no speakers or microphones or... Apparently it didn't happen too hard. Moses had no problem talking to the people, so... People learned to project. He would have stood on the mountain. They would have been below and they would have heard. And there, people, there are people that have a voice that projects and they've learned to project from their diaphragm. Actors used to be trained in it all the time. They used to be, you know, they used to sit in, you know, groups of hundreds and thousands of people, and actors could be heard all the way back, you know, especially in certain, you know, in well-designed theaters, they could be heard all the way at the, the furthest distance. And then there's other people that could have a very small crowd that can't speak up enough to cover the, you know, size of our sanctuary because they just don't know how to speak and project. But uh, yes, it would have been a big deal, you know, that, you know trying to pre trying to speak to three and a half million people, there had to be some kind of message system involved in getting that uh, information. It could have been that he talked only to the 600,000 men and they had to give it to their families. He could have talked to the leaders and they passed it down to their families. Who knows how exactly it got done, but it did. And so they've been camping outside of Sinai for just under a year. You know, most people don't realize that they spent that long there. And that was the time to build the tabernacle, get the laws, communicate the laws, you know, get everything all set up. And now they're getting ready to move again. And so, but it took them two months, 14 days to get from Egypt to Sinai. And uh, that's with a few camping, you know, camping stops that we, that you think, if you remember, they, they stopped at Miramah. And what happened at Miramah? means murmuring. They complained about not having water. It was bitter. And he had to put the, the tree, what, it, what they said, tree in the water and made it sweet, representing the cross being placed into bitterness and changing bitterness to sweetness. A uh, couple, couple of other times that they camped. So, so here we are, basically a year at Sinai, verse 2. Take the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel after their families by the house of their fathers with the number of their names, every male by their poles, from, the, from 20 years old and upward, upward, all that are able to go forth to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies, and with you there shall be a man from every tribe, every one the head of his house of his fathers. So think about this. Moses and Aaron are supervising the numbering of the people. And they're going to have a representative from each of the tribes to be there to help them with this numbering. This is going to take a long time. Mm -hmm. 
And you notice it says that they're to take a poll, and that means, means involves tax. And if you remember, we talked about in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, the way they did their count was real simple. You went up to the box, you put, a, you put your coin in there, and you walked away. And, that, and all they had to do was count the coins at the end of the day, and they'd, you know, and they'd know how many people were, were there. If you didn't have a coin. You had a coin. It was a coin no matter whether you were poor or rich. It was a very small amount, and if I recall, it was very small. It was just a couple of pennies, but it was, you, it was whether you were rich or poor, you, the same tax was paid for the count. And so, and they're going to be dropping their little coins in there <laughs> to count. And it says, and these are the names of the men that you shall stand with you. Of the tribe of Reuben, Elazar, the son of Shedeur, of Simeon, Shilumiel, the son of Zurashadai, of Judah, Nashan, the son of Amadab, of Issachar, Nathaniel, the son of Zuar, of Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Helan, of the children of Joseph, of Ephraim, Eliashima, the son of Amahud of Manasseh, Gamaliel, uh, the son of Pedazar of Benjamin, Abedan, the son of Gideonai, of Dan, Ahiezar, the son of Amishadai, of Ashar, Pagiel, the son of Akran, of Gad, Eliashaf, the son of Duel, of Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Enan. These were the renown of the congregation, the princes of the tribes of their fathers, heads of the thousands of Israel. So these are chief men of each tribe. They're the leaders of each tribe. And maybe I'll get all you guys to read all these names. <laughs> I was just following you thinking, mm, he's educated in, in college and he ain't doing a whole lot better now. No, I don't. <laughs> do it in tongues. Huh? I can do it in tongues. Do it in tongues. <laughs> And you note that who they're counting are all the men that are 20 years old or, or older that are eligible to fight. Okay? So these are the numbers of the warriors that they're going to come up with. So there's, there's the teenagers and the children they're not counting. And the very old, the women aren't being counted at all yet. The very old men that aren't, or the very damaged men who aren't able to fight aren't counted. About the sons that... Wanted to go, but weren't 20, they cheated. And they got to wait. <laughs> they got to wait. Verse 17, and, and Moses and Aaron took these men, which were expressed by their names, and they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month, and they declared their pedigrees after their families by the house of their fathers, according to the number of the names from 20 years old and upward by their poles. As the Lord commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. I'm going to look at verse 18. These people that came by had to declare their pedigrees of their families. They had to say who their fathers were, who their grandfathers were. 
basically they had to prove that they were Israelites, who they, who they were. Mm. And I want to look quickly at Ezra chapter 2, after Chronicles and before Job. Verse 59. This is in the middle. We're at the end of a long genealogy again of all those people that went back to Jerusalem from Babylon. And at verse 59 it says, And these were they that went up from Tel Melah, Tel Harsah, Sherub, Adan, and Immer, but they could not show their father's house and their seed whether they were of Israel. This is a big deal. Being able to show who your family is is a big deal for the Israelites. And why is it a big deal? Because of the promise. It's the promise. It's, it's more than just the promise. They're going to be assigned land by their, by their family name. They're going to be assigned position around the tabernacle by their family name. They're going to be given uh, jobs by their family name, depend, you know, for the, especially the Levi's. There's going to be all kinds of things, and it is designed by who your family is. When they get to, to the promised land, they're going to be said, Dan, you've got this north country. Benjamin and Judah, you've got this south country. You know, uh, all the way through, and they're, and they're assigned places by their family. So it becomes very important for them to know their family and who their family is. Did it make a difference who, who sons were? I know that Leah, I mean, I know that uh, Rachel's sons were just two, Benjamin and Joseph, which became Manasseh and Ephraim. And they got a double portion. But uh, did, the, did the concubines or the maidservants, whichever they called them, did it make a difference whose sons was who? Yes. That's what I thought. Because each one of them was a tribe. Each one of those sons is a tribe of Israel. But like two of those are wives and two of them are not But they still, they still became tribes. Equal. Equal tribes. Oh, good. I'm glad. The only one that got more is Rachel because, and we're going to talk about that later, but we might as well go ahead and look at it. If you go back to Genesis chapter 48, we're going to talk about that later, but we can talk about it now. Genesis 48, verse 5. I'll actually start at verse, uh, we'll start at the beginning of 48, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, your son Joseph comes to you. And Israel, which is who Jacob, Jacob's other name, strengthened himself and sat upon his bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me, and said unto me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people and give you this land to your seed after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto you in the land of Egypt, behold, before I came into, unto you in, into Egypt, are mine, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Okay, so Jacob basically told Joseph, you may have other kids, but I'm taking these first two to be my, my children. And I think he kind of understood that he had lost, in one sense, he had lost Joseph. Mm -hmm. Joseph was the, 
prime minister of, of Egypt. He, was, he basically had belo belonged at this point to Pharaoh. He was Pharaoh's number two man. It was very clear to, Joseph, uh, to Jacob that Joseph was not ever leaving Israel, uh, Egypt. He had lost, as far as he was concerned, he had lost his son. So he says, okay, I may have lost you, but I'm going to take two son, your two sons and, and, and you have a double inheritance in, in amongst the, the tribes. Okay, and so that's kind of an answer to what you're saying. I mean, this is where we get our 12 tribes because God knew that he was losing Joseph to Egypt and they were going to lose the tribe of Levi to God himself, which then would have meant losing two sons. You were down to 10 tribes. So, so he said God had already provided that Jacob would provide for two additional sons to be, bring us back to 12 tribes. Oh yeah, all yeah. these other countries that were around them during that. So Joseph represents time. Jesus, who saves the world and the Gentiles and brings them all under under one. But in one sense, even in Jesus's case, he's been even though he was born a Jew and is a Jew, he has never been accepted by the Jews as the Messiah and Savior. So he was rejected and kicked out, basically, in in all practical purposes. So. I just wanted to bring that out. I was going to bring it out a little later, but we'll bring it out. Seems that was thrown out. It was the idea that you know this part, Manasseh and Ephraim, was taken to replace the two tribes that were going to be lost to Israel for practical purposes. Okay, verse 20. Here we go for another long list of names. And the children of Reuben, Israel's eldest son, by their generations, after their families, by the house of their fathers, according to the number of their names, by their poles, Every male from 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go to war, those that were numbered of them, even of the tribe of Reuben, were 46,500. Verse 22, of the children of Simeon, by their generations, after their families, by the house of their fathers, those that were numbered of them, according to the number of their names of their poles, by the every male from the 20 years old and upward that were able to go to war, those even were numbered of them, of the tribe of Simeon, were 59,300. Of the children of Gad, by their generations, after their families, by their house, of their fathers, according to the number of their names, from 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go to war, those that were numbered of them, of the tribe of Gad, were 45,650. Of the, tribe, of the children of Judah, by their generations, after their families, by the house of their fathers, according to the number of their names, of from 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go to war, those that were numbered of them, even of the tribe of Judah, were 74,600. Of the children of Issachar, by their generations, by, after their families, by the house of their fathers, according to the number of the names, from 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go to war, those that were numbered of them, even the tribe of Issachar, were 50, uh, was 45,400. 45, this is very, as you know, when you read this, uh, the same sentence is used over and over. They change the tribe, they change the number. <laughs> 54,400 for that one, too. Yeah. Uh, you're right. I just, I'm sorry. I, mis I, I reversed, I transposed the numbers on it. 54,400. Of the children of Zebulun and their, their nations, after their families, by the house of their fathers, according to the number of their names, from 20 years old and upward, that were all 
that were able to go, to go forth to war, those that were numbered of them, even of the tribe of Zebulun, were 57,400. Yeah, well, it's, you're going to get up to 600,000, so you've got to get some big numbers. The, uh, of the children of Joseph, namely the children of Ephraim, by their generations, after their families, by their house of their fathers, according to the number of their names, from 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go to forth to war, those that were numbered of them, even of the tribe of Ephraim, were 40,500. Of the children of Manasseh, by their generations, after their family, families, by the house of their fathers, according to the number of the names of the 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go forth to war, those that were numbered of, of them, even the tribe of Manasseh, were 32,200. Of the children of Benjamin, by their generations, after their families, by the house of their fathers, according to their numbers of their names, from 20 years old and upward, that were able to go forth to war, those that were numbered of them, even of the tribe of Benjamin were 35,400. Of the tribe of Dan, by their generations, after their families, by the house of their fathers, according to the number of their names, of 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go forth to war, those that were numbered of them, even of the tribe of Dan, were 62,700. Of the children of Asher, of their by their generations, by, after their families, by the house of their fathers, according to the number of their names from 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go forth to war, those that were numbered of them, even of the tribe of Asher, were 42,500. Of the children of Naphtali, according to the, throughout their generations, after their families, by their house of their fathers, according to the number of their names from 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go to war, those that were numbered of them, even of the tribe of Naphtali, were 53,400. These are those that were numbered with which Moses and Aaron numbered and the princes of Israel, being 12 men, each one was for the house of his fathers. And so all those that were numbered of the children of Israel by the house of their fathers from 20 years old and upward and all that were able to go forth through war in Israel, even all that were numbered were 603,550. So this is all the people of Israel other than the Levites. And it's 603,550, the same number that was counted in Exodus 38, which means that in a year's time, there was no change in the population of war, people of war. So those born, those died, stayed the same. Stayed the same. And plus, you're only talking one year, so that's not a big surprise that there's little to no, no change. Uh, because anybody born is not going to be counted, so it's just a handful that turned 20 in that time and then the handful that would have died <laughs> so you, the, or got too old to be counted to go to war. So your, your number has stayed the same uh, over, that, over that year's period. Verse 30, uh, 47, but the Levites after the tribe of their fathers were not numbered among them and the Lord, for the Lord had spoken unto Moses saying, only you shall not number the tribe of Levi, neither take the sum of them among the children of Israel, but you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all the vessels thereof and over all the things that belong to it. They shall bear the tabernacle and all the vessels thereof and they shall minister unto it and shall encamp around about the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle setteth forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up and the stranger that comes nigh shall be put to death. 
and the children of Israel shall pitch their tents every man by his own camp and every man by his own standard throughout the host. But the Levites shall pitch around the tabernacle of the testimony and there shall be no wrath upon the congregation that there shall be no wrath upon the congregation of the children of Israel, and the Levites shall keep the charge of the tabernacle of the testimony, and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did they. So you've got this picture, every time they camp, you've got the tabernacle, which we spent a long time in Exodus going over, and even a good portion in Leviticus, and around that is going to encamp the Levites. And we're going to get more specifically exactly how they camp here in as we get into, into numbers. So if anyone came close, who killed them, God or the, or the Levites? One or both. God's going God's to take care of his camp, but the Levites were there to protect it as well. That was their job. Their, their job was to protect. And, but see, the key to this was that the strangers were not to help set up. Not that the strangers weren't allowed, because remember in Leviticus we're told that non-Jews, the Gentiles, were able to come into the tabernacle and offer sacrifices. Now, whether anybody ever did, I don't know. I've never been able to find anybody that says that that happened. I read one guy that's supposed to be a scholar, and he said that it happened 12 times. Now, I don't know. Uh, I've never be been... nice to know which 12 times, where do I find it? <laughs> yeah. Well, it wouldn't be in the Bible. In the Bible, there's no place where it talks about them coming in and, and worshiping. So, but here we've got the tabernacle in the center, you've got the Levites around that, and then we're getting ready to go into how the, how the tribes are going to be set, which is what Amy's been really waiting for here, so. <laughs> the cross. The cross, yes. Me too, since you said that. Thank you. And I'll give you this second copy of it that's a little a little more like a cross now the pieces of paper I'm going to show you and we're going to get into this but uh, the first one I handed out the reason I like this one is because it shows you that the Levites are all around the tabernacle the first one I sent passed out the Okay, you see the Levites around the tabernacle. And then you've got the tribes in their numbers. And the second one I, I showed you, it, it kind of balances them out a little bit. It shows Levi in the center without showing the, the tabernacle. It shows the tribes with their numbers of the totals of those three tribes. And it shows the standard that was the main standard of each side. And when we get there, that'll make a little more, a little more sense. But each tribe of Israel had a standard that they worked under. In this case, we see Judah. Judah had the lion on it on its standard. It's been the lion of Judah. Was okay. Issachar and Zebulun both under the under the lion? They were. Judah was the head of the of that group, and we'll see that when we read this read this section. Uh, Reuben had the picture of a man on his standard. Ephraim had the picture of an ox or a bull on his standard. And Dan had the picture of an eagle under its standard. Question number two. When you, Ezekiel. Possibly. I haven't researched it completely yet. Okay. 
Yes, when I first saw this chart, that's why I copied it off, because I saw that and I immediately thought about those, those statements. So, those give you something to look at, kind of glance at, and it is. Now, whether it actually looked like a cross in reality, the way they camped, you know, who knows? Because they probably didn't, you know, just go one big long line. To the to the east, you know, there would probably be, but there would be a larger number to the east, of east, and then there would be a smaller number on each other side. So it probably resembled a, you know, the outline of a cross, but not as clearly. It would probably be more like that first first picture I showed you, which would have the long the long pieces on it. Do you see that? You see what I'm talking about on that? So I'm not going to say that when they look down on it, they, you know, that you'd say, oh, look at that beautiful cross. You know, <laughs> you'd say, wow, there's a lot more people on that side than there are <laughs> on that side. And look at that. You know, and if you looked in, the art, artistic person would look at it and say, well, it kind of resembles a cross. Somebody like myself would look down and look at that mass of people. They're a little lopsided on that one side. Uh, but I probably would never have seen a cross on this. Uh, but I see. Yes, and that was the purpose of it. And that was the whole purpose of, of the of the layout. And I do believe, as many Christian scholars do, that this cross was on purposely purposely put in there because the proportions are to a cross. But you'd have to climb up a hill to see it. There's uh, with that many people. As most people would say, when Balaam and Balak looked down upon Israel, they were high enough up to be able to see, cross. see a cross in front of them. But even more importantly, God looking down would have seen the cross and say, these people are covered. They're my people. They're covered by the, the blood of my son, future blood of my son. And he would look down and saw a cross. And that's the most important person for seeing that, seeing that cross. Satan, when he comes in, would see the cross, his future, his future demise. Uh, so, in a, in a spiritual sense, we see this very strongly pictured. And like I say, you know, was it a very clear cross? I don't know. It was probably rounded around the edges because of the, you know, the way the way the camps would have been formed. But yes, you can see a cross in the in the in the in the design of this. So we're going to look at chapter two and kind of start picking picking this apart a little bit. Depends upon where the water was. <laughs> One thing I do want to point out, and I don't know if this has any reference whatsoever to anything, but on the west side you have Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. Those were Rachel's children. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, on the uh, south side you've got Reuben, uh, excuse me, on the south side you've got Gad, on the north side, you're going to have Naphtali, Asher, and Dan, and those are uh, Leah. Leah, uh, no, not Leah's, but uh, the the two concubines. I can't remember the names. <laughs> Zebulon was one. No, no, no I drives me nuts. I, no, I, I knew I knew the names uh, earlier when I was looking them up, and now I can't Beulah remember. Beulah and. Uh, 
and uh, I want to say Zelda. It's called blocking. Yeah. I have that problem of blocking. Zilpa. Zilpa. So to the to the north you have two of the concubines, and to the south you have one of the concubines, and then everybody else is Rachel's children. Uh, to the to the east and two of the tribes on the south. So I don't know if that means anything. I just kind of noticed that earlier today, but so I threw it out to everybody. And uh, but I did I did kind of find find it interesting that the they were listed close together in, in that in that way. And so, so Leah's children are Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulon. Zebulon. Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Is Issachar, Zebulon, and Levi. And Those are all Leah's children, and all of Rachel's children are on the other on the west side, the head and the foot of the cross. So, just I thought it was interesting. I don't really know if it means anything yet. Uh, what a difference from our pioneer days when we round up the wagons, pick a circle, you know. That's what I'm saying. In essence, in essence, this probably formed a, a kind of a circle. It would be a little heavier on the one, one you know, on, on the various sides. Militarily, but, you know, for military reason, it's good protection. So, but they surrounded the they surrounded the temple. So, chapter two. I think we have time to cover chapter two. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch his pitch by his own standard with the ensign ensign of his father's house. Far off about the tabernacle, the congregation shall they pitch. And so we're talking about pitching their tents around their own standard. And that's why I like this one that had four of the standards. Okay, because each tribe had a standard. And what's the importance of a standard? We've talked about a standard before. What, what's the importance of the standard or the banner? Where to group at. Huh? Where to group at. Where to group at. At war, it was, when you were in battle, it was the retreat place. You looked for your standard. That told you where to retreat to. It, it showed you where your leaders were, were at because the standard would be by the leaders with the strongest group of the men. So a standard is a very important, important thing. It would be a great big flag, and these would be the flags that would be flown by their, by their, by their family. Okay, and there's 12 standards in, in all. So, 12 standards? 12 standards. Mm -hmm. One standard for each tribe. Okay, so this one only shows This only shows you four, and then we'll, we'll get into the reason why. Okay. Verse 3, on the east side toward the rising of the sun shall the standard of the camp of Judah be pitched throughout their armies, and Nishan the son of Abminadab shall be the captain of the children of, Zu of, of Judah. So here you're seeing on the east, and this is why they're showing Judah on the east, because Judah was put in charge of the three families on the east. But each family would have had their own standard, but Judah's would be the one that they would be the head rallying one. This is the one that was saying Judah's going to be the key person on that side. So if you couldn't see your banner to get to it, you look for that lion and head for it. If you were if you were part of the tribe of Judah, Issachar, Zebulun. Yeah, well, use them as. Yes. Yep. Verse four. And his host and those that number with them were seventy-four thousand six hundred. And those that do pitch with unto him shall be of the tribe of Issachar. And Nethanel by the son of Zohor shall be the captain of the 
children of Issachar and his hosts and those that were numbered thereof were 54,400. Then the tribe of Zebulun and, and Eliab, the son of Helon, shall be the captain of the children of Zebulun. And his host and those that were numbered thereof were 57,400. And all that were numbered in the camp of Judah were 186,400 throughout their armors. And they, these shall be the first to set out. Okay, so when they got ready to march out, of camp, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun led with their 186,400 people. So this has two primary things. It's going to make a cross, but it is in a military sense, the largest army is leading. The largest group of men is leading the march. Okay, They're going to be the first to depart. Camp breaks, they leave. They, they're the first to leave, so they have to be ready to very quickly to, to leave. And if you think about this, trying to get three and a half million people moving <laughs> is going to be quite a trick. Uh, that would be, you know, I don't know what town anywhere nearby is three and a half million people, but it would be, you know, a very large town trying to get all of them to evacuate and move in the same direction. Take Phoenix or Vegas. They're not spread out like that. They're in tents next to next to next to next to. And trying to get them all out at one in, in an organized manner and starting to move. This three and a half million people would not be in a three mile block. It would not be in a 10 mile block. Uh, it's, you know, the thing about this is they followed the roads in the, des in the wilderness. And there were roads, even in those days, there were roads. Even in our, in our days of colonization of Arizona, there were technically roads that you followed. They were paths that you followed. Not necessarily, not just Indian roads, but they were, there were roads. There were particular ways that you followed. And if you got off of those roads, you were doing one of two things. You were trespassing on Indian land, mm -hmm. or you might have been crossing somebody's farm and have just as much anger at you because you crossed their, their grazing land. You ruined their grazing land or whatever. So you were to stay on the marked roads. And sometimes those roads weren't well marked. They weren't paved like our roads are with great big signs all over the place. When you, these dudes got through walking, honey, that road was. Oh, it was definitely, definitely it was very yeah. clear where, they, where the road was. <laughs> and, and we will read in numbers how many times they would go and ask for permission to cross someplace and say, you know, we need to, we need to get from here to, to this place and we would like your permission to cross through. We will pay for our water, we will pay for our food, whatever, whatever else, and they would go. And sometimes they were given permission and they went. Sometimes they were given per not given permission and they went around. Sometimes they were not given permission and God said, go anyway, mm -hmm. which caused war, as, as it really would cause war. I mean, if we, if we were trying to march to, to Panama and we decided just to cross Mexico, whether Mexico allowed it or not, yeah. there would be war. Uh, your well, not just that, but I mean, <laughs> if the country decided to march our army and, and, and Mexico said, no, you're not getting that, doing that, and we did it anyway, we would totally expect to be attacked by the, the Mexican arm, army. Well, are you saying that these people amounted to about a million people? Three million. Three million. Around three million, million people in total. Three million people leaving through Texas 
headed for Panama. Why? We don't have a problem with that. Yeah, you're right. I would have a problem with that. And most places would, unless you stayed to your road and you paid them and, and all of that. So but how big would that road have to be for that many people to get well, down? That was basically my point. The roads themselves, we would associate with four to six lane roads. And if you've got that many people and you start figuring how many people can you fit in a six lane road with carts and, and mm -hmm. foot, uh, you know, for each, each 10 feet you're, you're, you're putting maybe 30 or 50 people and that's packed and you got 3 million people. Mm -hmm. And the reason I brought that out is think of the line. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got these group, you've got Judah and its group leading, leading the march. They might even be camping at the next site before the other people have barely left their location. Yeah. Okay, pass up the line. Get breakfast ready when you stop. Be First hungry. people get permission. The last people, they may be mad and have attacks. Yeah, that's part of what happened in, in, in some of the stories. The, the trailers were, were attacked. But I'm just making that yeah. point. There's this long line of people. This wasn't just a mob of people that went roaming across the across the desert. This was a long line of people following the road that was in existence. And they were organized. And there was a, this is why they're needing to be organized. And I've always pictured this, uh, you know, three and a half million people, this first group might have been pitching camp by the time the others got there because that's how long it would be stretched out. Yeah, the next day. Because a, a day's walk is roughly 20 miles, but when you're in a caravan and, and large with children, you're looking at maybe 12 to 15 miles. Mm -hmm. yeah. So in many cases, Judah and them are, are moving while the others may even be sleeping and eating breakfast. Mm -hmm. They're at camp while the others are eating dinner while the others are coming in. Uh, I mean, this is how long this line's going to be. It's not this short, I mean, we, we kind of get this picture of, oh, they just moved from this place to that place, and you know, somehow we just translate them from one place to the other without this big, big walk. Tents? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, they had tents. Where'd you get them from? Well, they, they, they took them out of, out of Egypt and were made them. Made them out of cloths and fabrics? Mm, out of skins and stuff, but they probably lived in tents in Egypt, for many of them. So, well, they were shepherds, and that's the way they yeah. lived. Many of them were. Is that how you say it? Bedouins. 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 All right, verse 10. On the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben. According to his armies, the captains of the children of Reuben shall be Eleazar, the son of Shedet, and his host, and those that were numbered thereof were 46,500, and those which pitched by him shall be the Simeon, and the captain of the children of Simeon shall be Shalumiel, the son of Zerushadai, and his host and those that were numbered with him were 59,300. And the tribe of Gad and the captain of their sons of Gad was Elahasaph, the son of Ruel, and his host and those that were numbered with him were 45,650. All that were numbered in the camp of Reuben were 151,450 throughout their armies, and they shall set out in the second rank. So down there, you started with the east, then you went to the south. Simeon and Gideon would march right behind Reuben. 
Then the tabernacle and the congregation shall set forward with the, tri with the camp of Israelites in the midst of the camp as they encamp, so they shall set forward every man in his place by their standards. All right, so that was just real quick. After, you know, we're going to learn more about Levi, but after, Sim after Reuben, Reuben moved, Levi moved. They, they took down the, the tabernacle and, the, and, and they followed in number three in the line of, of armies. Okay, and they're going to be right in the center of all, you know, they're going to be in the center. The only way they're going to be attacked is, you know, from a flanking side attack. But forward, they've got all these, you've got two big groups, and then behind them, they'll, they've got two, two big armies behind them. So here we are, we're, lying, we're setting up the, the, the plans, and there's organization, and we just really want to show the organization. God does everything in order. He does not do things chaotically. If you... And this should be true in a church. Things should be orderly in a church. There should not be a lot of chaos because that's not what God does. And every once in a while, you'll, you'll see reports of these churches doing crazy things in their church, and they become laughingstocks and because they're disorganized. There's no, there's no order. And you, you look at it and say, that's not my God. My God's a God of order. He puts things into place. And edification. And there's building up. There's edification. There's love. There's... there's there's a peace from it. On the west side, verse 18, shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim. According to their armies, the captain of the sons of Ephraim will be Elishia Ma, the son of Amihud, and his host and those that were numbered with him were 40, 40,500. 40, 40, 40, I'm having trouble reading numbers today. Reading the numbers today. I don't know why. There's not many. Yeah, and we're just in the book of numbers. <laughs> It'd be easier if they were written out in numbers, not written, written out. And by him shall be the tribe of Manasseh, and the captain of the children of Manasseh shall be Gamal Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur, and his host and those that were numbered with him, 32,200. Then the tribe of Benjamin and the captain of the sons of Benjamin shall be Abadan, the son of Gideonai, and his host and those that were numbered with them, 35,400. And all the number of the camp of the Ephraim were 108,100 throughout their tribes, and they shall go forth third in rank. So third in battle, but, but they're, remember the, the Levites are actually in a third position, so they're kind of the fourth position, but the, they're the third rank of army going out. Because the Levites were not to go to war. Okay? There was a battle. The Levites were not in war because they're carrying the tabernacle. They're carrying the, the wood and the ark and the, and the altars and everything. Yeah. And that goes out in front. What's that? That goes out in front. Oftentimes God told them to go off in, in first in battle. Yeah. Not every time. Don't get, don't get the idea that they always went first, but okay, many I, times I, they I did. they did in yeah, Many times they're going to go first. So we're going to see them going first quite often. And this is why the, the Ark of the Covenant was lost to the Philistines because the Israelites got to the place where they thought that the Ark was this talisman. As long as it went into battle first, they won. Mm -hmm. And they were not doing what God said. And God said, fine, I'm going to take the Ark away from you. And so the Ark was taken. Uh, so we, that's what we want to bring out on that. The standard, let's see, 
Verse 25, the standard of the camp of Dan shall be on the north side by their armies. The captain of Dan shall be Ehi Elzar, the son of Amil Shaddai, and his host and those that numbered with them were 62,700. Those that encamped by, camped by him shall be the tribe of Asher. The captain of the children of Asher shall be Pagiel, the son of Achran, and his host and those that were numbered with them were 41,500. And the tribe of Naphtali, the captain of the children of Naphtali, shall be Ahal, Ahira, the son of Enan, and his host, and those who were numbered with him were 53,400. And all that were numbered in the camp of Dan were 157,600. And they shall go hindermost by their standards. So they're last in line. And those that were numbered of the children of Israel by the house of their fathers, all those that were numbered in the camps throughout their host were 600, 3,550. But the Levites were not numbered among the children of Israel as the Lord commanded, and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they pitched their standards, and so they set forth everyone after their families according to the house of their fathers. So we've got this, this standard number here that keeps being repeated over and over again. The 603,550 people. This is, a, this is a large army. And this is one of the things that many skeptics will point to and say, how could they have an army that big? Because this is a phenomenally large army for this day. You know, to have a 600-man army was a big deal. But God gave them that, that army, and it was an army that was to bring fear. And if nothing else, remember, these, the men of Israel are not real warriors yet. You know, at this point, they have fought no battles. Okay? At this point, they've marched from Egypt to Sinai and have fought no battles. They are not, right now, they are just shepherds, masons, uh, brick makers, brick layers. This is all that they are right now. They have no combat skills. So if they're going to win any battles, it will be because they have so many people that, number one, most people are scared to fight them because they're going to be looking at them and saying, uh, my army is 100,000 and you've got six men for every one that I have. And so this is going to be an interesting point. And you mentioned the Battle of Jericho. 600,000 people circling Jericho each day. Yeah, I didn't think about that. No wonder the boom, 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 <laughs> boom would that wall. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to go there. I mean, God dropped that wall down, not the, not the marching of the people. No. But, it was, but it was a large group of people that surrounded that, surrounded that city. So, and this is what they're going to be facing. Every time they go to battle, there's going to be this large number of people by the time they come into Jericho, though, they're, they're a warring group. They've got 40 years in the wilderness, and they've learned to fight. And uh, so they're going to be very different. The first time that they go and they stand, at, they stand at the land of Jordan, they're not real warriors yet. And there was good reason for them to be afraid of crossing in where the giants were and, and the people, strong cities of iron, you know, iron that they were seeing and strong armies, and, and they had a great fear and probably realistically should have that fear other than the fact that they had just seen God destroy the Egyptians, the strongest army 
the strongest nation in the, in the land, world at that time. And yet they went in and said, we're afraid to go across where God told us to go. They had forgotten. They had but forgotten God's power. But Caleb and, uh, and Joshua. Joshua had not forgotten. No. That's what the difference in them yeah. was. They had remembered, they remembered what God had done and they remembered what God, that God had promised them the land. And this is, this is true for us as Christians, how easy it is for us to forget what God has done in the past if we're not thinking about it. And then when God says you're going to do something, we need to be able to say, thank you, God, yes, we're going to do that. We have power with God if we will just step forward. But so often we will go, but God, there's, there's giants over there. They, they look really mean. They look really vicious. You know, who am I to be able to stand up against them? And God will say, well, you're nobody, but I'm everything. And that's what we've got to keep in mind. When we, when we want to question God, it's, you're right, we are nothing. Because that's always our question. Who am I to stand up against? You know, who am I to stand up against the governor of this land? Who am I to stand up to the Supreme Court and, and honor you, God? Who am I to, to stand up to the gun at my head to say I'm, I'm a, a, your follower? Who am I? Well, I'm nobody. If I think I'm somebody, I'm going to fail. Yep. But when I realize who am I and, and God is everything, we will be victorious. Even if we lose our life as a martyr, we will still be victorious because God is the one who's in charge and he will use that for good. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look at how you're organizing your people. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of order. You are not a God of chaos. That you will you always look for order. You will always create order in what you do. And if there is lack of order, then we need to look back and say, are you in charge? Lord, we ask that you go with us as we go out today. Help us to go forward and do whatever it is that you would have us do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.